0: Craft Beer Radio, episode 400, on October 30th, 2016.
1: And welcome to Craft Beer Radio, where this is episode 400. Breaking off another hundo, and our big, uh, big celebration. We have a bunch of Gester Kings. We also have some guests, Jeff.
0: Yeah, we have uh, two guests. we got Joe and Matt, and they are working on Brew, the Museum of Beer. Uh, America does not have a National Beer Museum. Did you know that?
1: I did not. I I, I thought, of course they would.
0: (laughs) That's what a lot of people think. I'm sure Joe and and Matt can can back that up. But these guys are trying to make it happen. They're um, doing an Indiegogo to raise some funds for the... Why should I try to say what you're trying to do when you're here and you can say it for yourself? So,
2: yeah, well, you're you're on point. Uh, We feel like there's nothing uh, out there like what we're trying to do. There there are people who have collections of of bottles and cans and beer caps and things like that. Our focus is on telling the ten thousand year old story of beer, from the origins of civilization to the Renaissance and the craft beer movement today, and all the stories, all the great stories. In between, and we don't think there's anything quite like that out there on the scale that we want to do it. Um, and uh, one of the steps in that process is uh, our current live Indiegogo crowdfunding. We're we're seeing this as a uh, as a bottom up venture. You know, beer is okay. for everybody, mm-hmm. and everybody ought to be involved with this. And uh, so we're trying to get the word out, get people right. behind it, check out the perks we got on online on the Indiegogo
0: site, and and see what we're up to. All right. Uh, is there a, a short URL or something that they should use?
2: Uh, well, we're on indiegogo.com, projects, uh, brew the museum of beer.
0: Brew. Okay. Yeah, and, the, and the, the project's called Brew, so you should be able to find that. And the beers we're drinking tonight are from Jester King. Uh, Rubio from the beer has sent us an awesome care package. And since we've got four people, we needed to drink larger format beers tonight. <laughs> so these guys get to try the Jester King for the first time you say we do the La Petite Prince? Okay, so this
1: is interesting. This, is, this beer is La Petite Prince. It is a uh, farmhouse uh, beer. It is far, a table beer. So it's about 3% alcohol volume, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, when we first had this, we were amazed. Because this is a 3% beer that has a lot of flavor to it. 3% and it was full of flavor. We, we thought it was almost certainly the second runnings of a barley wine because it would so, uh, so flavorful. Uh, the The brewer decided that, him glass. Uh, yep. this, that he thought this was sort of a saison style, and that he was going to release some of the Le Petite Prince in green bottles because he liked some of the skunky qualities that come with green bottles in saisons.
0: This, this is, is a a classic saisons like Saison Dupont, right? Um, Coming green bottles, and. Some people think it's just an aesthetic thing, you know, like imports are in green bottles like Heineken, so green has a cachet, but green is horrible for beer. Uh, It doesn't block the UV light, so beers can get skunked really easily Hmm. in green bottles. So we've been poo-pooing the use of green bottles for years. And then Jester King does this 180 on the whole craft beer industry saying, Saison's can actually be good with a light amount of light striking, a light amount of skunking, if you will, yeah. in it. And uh, I haven't tasted this beer yet, but, I mean, it's been living its life in a green bottle, not in a darkened box its entire life. So, I mean, light has hit it, and let's see what we got. So
1: this is 2.9% off volume. Mm. 2.9. volume. Uh, 2.9. Final gravity of 1.000, so it's water. It is the same density <laughs> as water. A 37 IBU... Uh, they use hill country hill country well water uh, the grains are two row pale malt and or so two row malt and wheat malt and the hops use are perle a fuggle and uh Sots. so they use a farmhouse yeast a native yeast and scouring bacteria from the texas hill country
0: so kind of spontaneously
1: fermented mhm i'm not really detecting any overt
0: skunkiness no
1: notes of that um, I'm trying to remember what, what the uh, what the chemical was because I once did a deep dive into how skunking works and uh-huh. uh, the the actual chemical. Prenum- process.
0: mercaptan.
1: Yeah, isoprenol mercaptan. That's correct. So it's a it's a, it's a theol, It's a sulfur compound, um, and it comes from the photolytic reaction of the isomerized hops. So there are certain ways that uh, the the light energy can cause uh, a cleaving of various different radicals that will then combine into other chemicals that form these compounds that are very much like the compounds that are inside skunk uh, stuff. Skunk spray.
3: (laughs) So So, So skunking refers actually to skunk. Yes,
1: if
0: you if you take an IPA and put it out in the sun for ten minutes and drink it, I mean you will taste and smell something that is fairly similar to when you drive past a dead skunk on the highway. This beer smells great, getting a kind of a crisp, weedy type tartness in the aroma, and then it seems like there's like a Brettanomyces type character. Now it doesn't necessarily say was Brett was used in it. Uh, they do say farmhouse yeast
1: scouring bacteria, so yeah,
0: but it kind of has a, that like dusty, a little bit of a leathery um, type aroma. So to there it could it be some lacto great. in
1: here too, because I mean, if there's other bacteria in there, could be some bacillus.
0: Yeah, I mean, it doesn't really have that kind of tart, tangy, yogurty smell to right. it. It's more of a, a Brettanomyces, that kind of um, dusty, leathery type smell. It smells great, though. What's the finishing flavor you get from this? There's.
2: You know, it's kind of uh, easy going in, and then there's a strong hit at the back of the mouth. There's, yeah. a,
1: there's a lot of very dusty, kind of like um, bale of hay like mm-hmm. components when, um, especially in the middle. And then near the end, it, it finishes pretty dry with a kind of chalkiness and a little yeah. bit of a, of a granite kind of note. Mm-hmm.
0: There's a there's a there's a funk to it too. I'm, I'm going to take another sip here, but it almost reminds me a bit of. Um, kind of, you know, has a lambic-type character to it, right? So along with that granite, you're getting this... I'm going to take another sip here put some more. So it's, it. it's
1: that, um, you know, they're using well water, so I expect this has a lot of minerals in it. So there's a lot of uh, that kind of uh, mineral, some uh, mineral salt-like uh, finish. Um, kind of like uh, like a heavy mineral water. Um, there's a little bit of chalkiness at the end, and I, I think that there's some of that... It, it kind of... It's reminded me of Brett, but it's not the, quite the bread that I'm used to. Uh,
0: yeah, I mean, so I'm getting like a, a fairly strong lemony type flavor. A touch of yogurtiness, but not really like some of the lactic beers that we've had lately. And then there's that really dry, scratchy kind of... I don't want to describe it. It's not quite sour, but it's... It's not quite tang. I guess tart would be the way to put it, though. I'm, I'm almost feeling like you know beers that we've had that have pediococcus used in you know yeah, like kind sure. of in the blend. Yeah. I think this has a, has some pedio influence in it as well. So I mean, this is a. Um, it's probably been six years or seven years since we've had this. I don't remember this beer being this funky when we've had it. Yeah. I, I wouldn't have started with it if I knew it was going to be this funky. <laughs> we normally don't start out the show funkifying our palates like that. Um, so I'm a little surprised how funky it is, but I'm enjoying it. It's. It's a beer you definitely want to take your time with and just kind of... Because, you know, we each only have, what, four ounces or so. But I'm going to be sitting here. I'm going to be putting my hands around it. Now's the time where I'm going to let it warm up and kind of let the bouquet come out, and you're going to tell me more about your project.
2: (laughs) Yeah, It's a large-scale undertaking. We're looking at 50,000-square-foot complex, the um, 20,000 of that in exhibit space, telling the story of beer. and You know, I, I think the uh probably this the, the audience you have probably knows a lot about uh the stories that are out there about beer, but it you know to us it's been amazing that you know <laughs> it's like you pick an epic and we can tell you a, mm-hmm. a fascinating story about beer and and you know, well documented stuff too we're not making this up and the, uh anthropologists and others have, you know are behind the the studies about how beer is essentially responsible for the origins of civilization, if you start with that, or, you know, why the Mayflower landed at Plymouth Rock or all the interesting Mm -hmm. stories around prohibition and uh, how, how beer is just tied into the history of the world and the United States. And um, there's um, one of the ones that fascinates me is the story of uh, immigrants in America and their influence on beer and uh, it's it's kind of uh current because you know there's a lot of focus right now on immigration and and how um uh, the germans largely uh changed beer in america mm-hmm. where we went from our focus on the english ales in the mm-hmm. uh, up through the early 19th century to getting into uh the lagers and the pilsner the german beers that when the German immigrants uh, came in large numbers in the middle of the nineteenth century, they brought their recipes with them. They brought enough money to be able to start up a brewery, and that's that was the first era when we had a brewery on every corner, right? Right. And, and uh, they to Mexico and Argentina too. And, and all those same story. Like yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, you know, there was a lot of anti-immigrant sentiment about that. And the you know many many no, <laughs> you're kidding me. <laughs> yeah, this is not a new phenomenon, right? <laughs> and. Uh, you know when when a number of those guys made a lot of money making uh beers and and all of essentially all of the early successful breweries were were of german origins um there was a lot of uh backlash on that and uh, you know and, and you can see prohibition or the the evolution of prohibition uh being in part an anti-immigrant uh response okay mm-hmm. uh, and
0: uh, uh so so your are Goes for fifty thousand dollars, right? That can't be the total cost of your project. So, so yeah. what is what is this for?
2: We have a tight budget, but not quite that tight. So, yeah, it's um, the total cost to do the museum is going to be twenty five to thirty million dollars. Uh, what we're looking for is um, some seed money going in. Uh, that's gonna help us get the uh the next round of studies done. So we we're three years into this project. We've been working on uh developing the models, developing the content, uh, validating the, the business plans and, and the proformas. And um now we need the uh the, nas- the national and international experts in entertainment destinations and beer to come together and say this model works or you're going to get this many people, not those many people. So that when we go to the large scale investors, Mm -hmm. they know it's solid. They know it's not just, you know, guys sitting around drinking beer, coming up with an idea, right? It's something that's been validated. And, and
0: so it it really is uh, a case where. So it's different from the guy with the huge beer can collection, because he just did that as a passion and he drank a lot of beer. Right. (laughs) And, And you guys aren't just piling up a pile of beer cans and saying, it's going to be our museum.
2: We've done a lot of homework. And we're ready to take it to the next level, and and the model for doing this is involve everybody, right? That you know, there's a lot of beer drinkers in in the country and in the world, and we're thinking people are going to get behind this. That you know, the fact that we don't have something like this surprises everybody you talk to is into mm-hmm. beer, right? So, um, it, you know, beer is a is a noble drink right <laughs> i mean
1: well you mentioned it before but i think the story of of grain and and, and the production of, of grain and and the uh, domestication of grain is the story of beer really right. because um you know it, it's associated with bread but beer and bread have a very close relationship to yeah, one
2: another the story of civilization really so mm-hmm. if you uh, if you look back you know so there was a point in time when we're all nomads right we don't settle in one place we're we're wandering around doing that hunter gathering thing and the anthropologists say at that time, your work week was 15 to 25 hours. That's how long it took you to do the hunter gathering thing. So why does anybody ever settle down and become a farmer that's mm-hmm. going to take you 60, 70 hours a week and break your back? Right? And it's for beer, for to, to uh, grow barley to make uh, beer, right? And, and there's pretty good anthropological evidence for that. So, And everything else flows from that, right? Once you start the farming, then you have to keep records. And you have to develop mm-hmm. a, a reading system. You have to develop a, a math calculation system. You develop commerce. Um, I mean, you know, you, you, so you move on from there. You know that the pyramid workers were paid in beer and... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the Huns beat the Romans because of beer and, you know, every, every stage of history, there's a fascinating beer story.
1: It's interesting that we start with, 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 the, with this one at 2.9, because I think that that is what most of the beer, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's what most of the beer would have been like, right? It would yeah. not have been high alcohol, uh, um, for many reasons, the yeast probably couldn't tolerate it at, at right. the start, but it, it would have been this sort of, uh, a staple, a food staple, not necessarily, uh, I mean, it would have been known that if you drank a lot of it, you would get drunk, but mm-hmm. not necessarily known, not necessarily used as a.
0: I mean, that, that uh, there's the water's not safe to drink, but the beer is, right? right. So that's a big part of it as well, too.
2: Yeah, which is coming from the monks in the Middle right. Ages, mm-hmm.
0: who uh, you know were of
2: that mode, right? That uh, beer was a major form of sustenance, mm-hmm. and, and you're right; the alcohol level was low because it was a food.
0: And in fact, the yeah, I guess in Sumerian times, the the water, the creeks probably weren't that polluted with. Bacteria that it was yeah. Uh, it's hard to say, but it's pro- like Middle Ages, yes, right? The rivers are you can't drink from the rivers, so you have to drink beer. Sumerian times, maybe the rivers were still good. I don't drink. know,
1: but I mean, you, you mentioned that they they start with you know the the, the reason why they, they go to this backbreaking labor is because they can have beer. But I think that the 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 thing that that people need to to understand for that is not that they can have beer because they wanted to have you know they want to have their their miller and they want to have their their. Uh, imperial stout they would have all the stuff they loved. No, it was this was a commodity that could be there all the time. They right. could have, uh, they could survive
2: through lean times and through good times. Right, right. And it was very much a spiritual thing, right? Mm-hmm. All, all the early societies have gods of years and spirits of years. And it was seen as a way of communicating with the holy. Sure. You know? and, and, you know, and that carried through into the Middle Ages where, you know, from which we have 30 different saints of beer for every, <laughs> every particular thing you can come up with. But that, that idea that the, in the Middle Ages it was a, an essential food and kept people alive, kept them from dying from the plague, is, is very true. And um, it was uh, that you know, the monks' share was generally about six pints a day. And uh, the monks really liked that, not the least of which, you know, one for the taste, but also when they were fasting... Beer was a was a drink, not a food, so mm. they were still allowed to have their six pints a day. There you go. <laughs> that was their sustenance.
1: So you had cereal, essentially.
2: That's right, right. Yeah. and like you said, it was very rich in mm. in in nutrients and less alcohol than today. So it uh, it got them through.
1: About when did it go from being a sustenance and just being something that's there for you to eat to being a luxury item, mostly yeah. to be like to be mostly considered a
2: luxury slash intoxicant? Well there's some who say that was part of the German influence, right? So when we when we start switching from the ales to the to the lagers and the pilsners, it's all about um having something that's refreshing and and it's kind of a proof that you don't have you're not desperate for food, mm. right? It's kind of a class advancement kind okay. of thing. Um you know, it's so that's that's one explanation I've heard about how we got into the lighter beers over time. That in the 19th century we we moved that way in part because we weren't starving anymore and we didn't need beer to be the core of our uh, nutrition.
1: So it took industrialization to really bring beer out into to, to be for the majority of the public uh, something to be a, a celebration drink as opposed to just primarily a sustenance. That's right. That
2: that was a big part of it. And then those those lighter beers are you know the lagers or uh, also require refrigeration, right? So you're not going to be able to send them from place to place until you have refrigerated rail cars and, and those kinds of things mm-hmm. going on. All right, let's
0: move place. on to the next beer. We'll get back to more beer history and about brew here in a little bit. Are You guys going to need a dump bucket, or are you guys going to finish those? Finish it off.
1: Okay, so next.
0: This is the food revising. Okay. I don't know if it's on their website. I, yes. I, I, uh,
1: farmhouse wheat beer fermented in an oak fooder. So fooders are these big um, oak vats tanks that uh, they use. Uh, we just talked with the Rundmach, and they have a bunch of... Um, they call them oak vats as opposed to fooders.
0: Yeah, I wanted to ask uh, him... That's the one question I have left, and actually asked the guy from the marketing agency to send me that question, yeah. whether he... Uh, there's a distinction between oak wooden vats and uh, fooders. Because so, it seemed to sound like they were different.
1: Yeah, that, I mean, I know in New Belgium we
0: saw their big fooders and their, you
1: know, gigantic. All right,
0: so this one's interesting because this is Live Oak Hefefeitzen, which we've had on the show before. Okay, Live Oak's a brewery in Austin, makes a fantastic heffa. It's one of the best made in the country. And it says right here in this uh, description that... Uh, the food took the DNA, so to speak, of one of our absolute favorite beers in the world, the live oak half bison, and now they did a mixed fermentation with it. So they, you know, f- did it in a oak barrel with more bugs. If you didn't like the sours in the last one, you might not like this one, too. But uh, I'm excited to try this one.
1: 5.8% like volume. volume. Uh, they use Austin, City of Austin water. <laughs> malted barley and malted wheat for the grains. The hops are Hilltown Middlefra, and Northern Brewer. Uh, they used a half of yeast a farmhouse yeast and native yeast, and souring bacteria in their uh in their photos for this guy which yeah it's so the the color is uh it's kind of a almost a neon yellow <laughs> uh it's it's got this this, this very um, not not clear at all very very uh
0: Yeah, <laughs> he's mesmerized by the 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 aroma on this. Thing. I'm mm. loving it. It's kind of this funky banana. It's this uh, <sighs> banana mango. It, it's I don't know how you want to describe it, but it just it's just bursting with this. <laughs> Banana's aroma. been
1: a little too long in the fridge.
0: <laughs> so the the live oak does have a lot of that banana hefeweizen type character to it. So you know that's kind of the origin of this beer.
1: It immediately jumps out as, like, with, with a lemony sour. And then some of that, like you said, that mango kicks in. And then mm-hmm. that, that banana, like a, like a mushy banana, kicks in at the end, I think. Um, it's interesting.
0: Very interesting. <laughs> it, this one has a lot. So the last one kind of has a more brett, um, more subtle tartness to it. Where this one has more of a tangy sour. This one is more like like the rotenbox we had on the show mm-hmm. last week. Um, where you're getting this blend of different yeasts and uh, well, culture, culture they call it, right, where you're getting some bacterias, some yeasts and, and things like that, all giving different characters to it. So this one has a more acetic note to it. It has a more lactic note to it. And okay.
3: Kind of nice blend of those two.
1: It's, it's interesting. Matt, what do you think?
3: It reminds me a lot of uh, cider for some reason. I can see that.
0: Yeah, so it has the... It's a dryness. That, you know, <clears throat> you can have, you know, apples can be tart, right? So, I mean, the tartness carrying through could, could definitely lead you to think, you know, it's kind of cidery. I'm not tasting... Also, when you're talking about tasting beer, when you say beer is kind of cidery, it, it's kind of this byproduct of a not really healthy fermentation where it kind of comes off like thin and apple like, Or if you ferment from with table sugar... Something I don't like think that. that's necessarily what he and, was saying. No, no, it's not what he's saying, but he used a term that a lot of listeners might misinterpret. So that's why I was describing it to Matt, that he I think unknowingly that. <laughs> used a term that could have been misconstrued. So I was making sure people weren't okay. misconstruing it, is all I was saying. I,
1: I'm with you, because I think that, to me, when you said cider, I thought, because, yeah, ciders end pretty dry. They, they can, and this mm-hmm. ends, to me, pretty dry. So it's a similar... <laughs> And, and and you also get some of that tartness from some sours, and you, and you get from ciders, and you get some uh, tartness here that's not quite the same type, but it is. It can hit your tongue in the same way.
2: Hmm. There's an effervescence to it that stays on the front of the tongue mm-hmm. for,
0: and it has a high carbonation to it, and it actually yeah. scrubs some of that sour off, so it doesn't mm-hmm. really hang around as long. And if you like the tanginess of this one, you know, uh, I would say this one's a little more. I would say the the last one took a little. It was a little funkier, right? Like it was a little more mop sink in there, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> there's a little bit of funkiness in it. And this one is more just kind of more along the lines of sweet tarts. It's and more Church straightforward. And stuff,
1: it, yeah. it, it's less. There's less you have to dig in to really appreciate. Because I mean, I think the the first one was one of the ones where if you weren't ready for that kind of beer, you haven't had that kind of beer before. Then that's kind of like, okay, what am I taking it? And how how far? How different is this from drain water? Mm-hmm. Um, whereas th- this is okay I-, I can see that there's there's definitely some other flavors here going on besides just um,
0: something that only really and only people
1: who really love this type of flavor would would enjoy
0: and and then the, the of flavors in here you kept saying mushy banana to me it's more of a there's more firm but you know that's a minor distinction mm-hmm. I am loving the vanilla notes that are coming off of this the banana notes that are coming in the finish I, I think this is fantastic
1: I'm not as key on it as you are uh, I think the, the sourness kind of overpowers those major banana notes. I think maybe that's why the mushy banana is coming at the end because it doesn't feel as put together. Um, the other uh, flavors, the other sort of free flavors, like you said, like a mango mm-hmm. and maybe a little bit of like a pear almost, are coming in mm-hmm. at the end, and so it's 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 a little bit it's a little confusing for me. When I try to think of like live oak and compare it to, to this, or or really compare this to any heffa because it doesn't it doesn't taste like a heffa. It tastes like um, it tastes like a Belgian golden that a soured Belgian golden that has some extra estuary True. components to it.
3: I
0: like that a lot. So the um, museum is going to be in Pittsburgh, or is it still? potential to be somewhere else
2: no we're uh we're settled in pittsburgh okay uh, we're still uh, in discussions about a specific location we want to be near downtown to accommodate uh out-of-towners we expect about 80 percent of the visitors to come from out of town so we want to be near the downtown hotels and convention mm-hmm. center and things like that okay but, uh,
0: all right yeah I, I i thought it was definitely in pittsburgh
1: i just wanted to ask yeah. what, <laughs> so why why pittsburgh
2: oh boy there's so many answers to that um There's a business answer, which is that Pittsburgh is within 45% of the U.S. population, within 500 miles of the U.S. population, and uh, same for Canada. So it's a a central location for Mm -hmm. a weekend trip. Works well that way. We have a 250-year-old history of brewing in Pittsburgh, going back to Fort Pitt here when the soldiers were here out in the the hinterlands here, and they said, you're going to keep us in this godforsaken place. You at least need to make some beer for us. And that was the start of brewing, the first brewery west of the Alleghenies. And so we have that distinction. Okay. Uh, and Pittsburgh's a pretty cool place, places these days. It's, you know, it's a city on the rise. We have a great beer culture going on here. Since we have just, you know, in the couple of years we've been working on this, the number of breweries, I think, has tripled in the area. Um and uh, there's good things happening in the beer community here as well as in the city in general. It's become a food and beverage city, which was not the case mm-hmm. a few years back, but very much so now.
1: I guess it's interesting to think about that. why would Denver have had a beer museum by now?
2: Yeah, well, uh, there's a good answer to that, and that works to our advantage. Um, in, uh, uh, take St. Louis, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, home, yeah, sure. Yeah, home of Bush. Um, their factory tour has 350,000 visitors a year. Mm. Um so if you uh if you if you were looking to put a, a comprehensive st- story of beer, the whole story of beer in you know mm-hmm. is the mayor of St. Louis going to get behind you? Eh, maybe not, right? Because you don't want to be competing with the, what you got going in town now. So Colorado, uh Wisconsin, you know, they have those things going on and, and we've had people in the beer industry saying there's an advantage to being in Pittsburgh where you're not where you're you have neutrality, you're not associated with one major brewer, but we still have a vibrant beer community.
0: Oh, okay. Makes sense? Yeah, it does make sense. All right, we're gonna move on to the next beer. Seems like we're pacing outpacing you guys. All right. <laughs> if you want here, I'll just take your take this. All right. Why don't you sit this over there? And they can Yeah, you guys can you don't have to yeah, feel self conscious. Don't have to feel self-conscious about dumping the, some of this delicious beer. Oh. <laughs> What's next? We're gonna do the uh, the beer de meal. So
1: uh, farmhouse ale brewed with honey, six point one percent alcohol by volume. Uh, grains we used are two-row malt uh, and malted wheat, perle hops. So this is. This is going to be sort of, I think, like their, like, like the first one, but it's, it's honey, and it's a larger beer, so that's 6.1. It's, it's, they also use the well water, um, but this is stainless steel fermented. And I don't know whether this goes into the photos or not. All right. Okay, nope.
0: yeah. Yeah, the aroma doesn't really carry much funk. It, it's kind of like a blossom honey. Definitely can smell the honey, kind of a, yeah. a mintiness, and I also get like a like a wheat, but more like a buckwheat actually. Yeah. So They say raw Texas wildflower honey. Nope, okay. yeah,
2: kind of a toasty flavor.
1: Interesting. Interesting. I see where you're coming from. Yeah, toastiness. Um, is. It's it, it has a a deep. Wow, yeah. Hmm, that's that's dry.
0: That re- finishes like crazy dry. Feels like I'm dragging a piece of limestone across my tongue. <laughs> does The toastiness you mentioned, I, I get that, right? It's not like straight up wheat. It's it's more like... Um, it may be like a burnt English muffin or something like that. There's a little bit of, of that kind of... Um, I'd say.
1: You get a little bit of um, a little bit of sweetness there. So I'd say like yeah. a, a croissant um, that has a little bit of that burnt nose to it. But I, I do agree that, that there, that's there. I think it's coming directly from the honey. I think that's really um, that. Yeah, that, that sweetness and whatever uh, whatever else goes into the honey making the, the bee vomit whatever <laughs> whatever it is uh, it, yeah. it has some some um, kind of melanoidin like. Uh, consistency to
0: it yeah i'm trying to figure out what parts are honey flavors and what parts are fermentation flavors from you know their house yeasts and their which one does this have any wild zenith or anything like that
1: yeah yeah. it has um you know farmhouse
0: yeast native yeast and scouring bacteria okay native yeast yeah so this is another one of their cultures and i'm trying to figure out like like there's like a minty thing going on there and i'm trying to figure out what that's coming it's like not not spearmint or anything but there's like this light minty thing which you could kind of see that came come from a honey but might be the fermentation i can't tell and then there's this buckwheat thing that i can't tell was from the honey or the fermentation and i i think
1: it's i think you're getting a lot of stuff from the honey here i think this i think most of those extra flavors come from the honey i don't mm-hmm. think that the, i think that the the fermentation flavors are there and they're different and there's um there's some uh wild flavors there's some a little bit like there's some tang that has been overdone that the honey has overcome mm-hmm. uh there's some a little bit of like the limestone nut for example that that uh, that probably got accentuated by some of those uh bugs, but mm-hmm. I think that most of that other flavors that you're getting the mintiness that definitely comes from the honey yeah. the 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 toastiness almost certainly comes from the honey you I mean, look at this i mean this is not
0: yeah uh, as I'm drinking into this more, I am getting some of those kind of dry. I wouldn't quite go to Leathery, but there's definitely some flavors that were in the La Petite Prince. Mm-hmm. You know, the things that I was kind of chalking up to Pedio, where it was kind of more of that... Um, oh, I wish I had really good words for it, <laughs> but I'm having a hard time with it. Uh,
1: it's it's the acquired taste part. Yeah. it's, it's this, is, this is an interesting show because, um, I don't know about you guys, I don't know how... how uh, Accustom you guys that are drinking beers of this kind. This is uh, this is really exciting for us because we don't get a chance to have these sort of farmhouse styles. Uh, but, you know, we don't typically also do these kind of farmhouse styles. I mean, you know, we typically will get a couple IPAs and a Goza.
0: And, yeah, uh, I mean, this, you know, yeah, for Greg and I, you know, for, you know, the big 400 show, you know, these are some great beers. But <laughs> I see you guys putting in the picture. So I hope you're enjoying at least tasting them if you're not enjoying drinking the whole glass. Uh, yeah, uh, absolutely. absolutely. And uh, this one appeals to me a lot. Okay. Uh, you know, if I'm home
2: in my kitchen, odds are good I'm going to open up an IPA. But, uh, and I'm, I'm I'm not, I don't drink a lot of sours. I don't mm-hmm. head in that direction. But this one has a, um, you know, it's kind of a complex flavor. I feel like I get something different out of it. Yeah, set I, I think
0: the honey, like, you know, Greg has talked me into it. I wasn't sure whether all these disparate notes are coming from the honey. But if, you know, Texas wildflower honey, you know, might have some buckwheat in one pasture and, you know, some, some, some kind of wild mint in another pasture. Cactus you can kind of see cactus. A cactus. You can kind of see all these flavors coming together yeah. and and being more rustic than the wildflower honey you find in Pennsylvania. Or just clover
1: honey or that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm.
2: Interesting.
0: I'm not giving any back of this one. Okay. <laughs> good, good. I'm glad. I gave you a short pour that time. If you want some more, let me know.
1: <laughs> what else do we have here? So we have... We the have stout. stout.
0: Yeah, this next one has honey, too, so we could kind of just do honey to honey. This one's the intersection of species.
1: What does that mean?
0: I'm not sure. There's skulls on the front. Okay. Okay.
1: Um, they combine the unique complex cultures from their friends at Off-Color Brewing. As a side project with their own to exploit the possibilities of a mixed culture
0: fermentation. So, a Off Color of is very near DC and they also have a, a pretty well known sour program as well. Okay, so this was brewed with raw Texas
1: wildflower <coughs> honey and fermented with tangerine zest and yeast. And juice, sorry, not yeast. Uh, tangerine, juice, and, and juice. 4.7% um, by <laughs> volume. Uh, two two-row pale malt, Munich malt and malted spelt is in this. That's interesting. So there might be a little bit of a um, kind of. A, it's been a while since I had spelt in malted spelt, but I think it's it's a little bit kind of like buckwheat in sort of uh, <laughs> in what it gives to, to to the beer. These pearly hops. Uh, I like said raw Texas wildflower honey is the same sort of honey, tangerine juice and, and zest, and they also have different bugs from different uh, places brewing in this guy.
0: Yeah, so when I took the first sniff, I definitely smelt the spelt, (laughs) which uh, is that more kind of, I guess, maybe, I mean, buckwheat's kind of there, but it's also, it was a bit graham crackery, you know, type aroma coming off of it. Now when I smell it, I smell something that's more... Oh, I'm getting the tangerine zest for now, for sure, right now.
1: The color is more tangerine-esque. It's just as cloudy, and there's no way you're seeing anything through this.
0: I'm also smelling some of those minty-type notes that I smelled in the last one. Flavor the tangerine juice. This one has more of the, it's more like the souring in the second beer that we had yeah. you know where it's a little more tart and and um, uh, like citric acid you know where the the, the odd number beers were a little more funky these ones are a little more sour <laughs> you know the even number of beers have been sour tonight this is
1: the tangerine is, is definitely there and, and noticeable uh, it's making the, it's making the honey less apparent Mm -hmm. Uh, The spelt is not really coming through very much that I can tell. It's um, probably some minor note in the background. It doesn't have the same kind of drink me quality I think that the last one had. I feel a little bit more, uh, this beer is holding off a little bit. It's it's being a little bit more like
2: um, pushing me away as opposed to bringing me in. Like the tangerine and the sour kind of fighting with each each other.
0: Yeah. They are a little bit. I, I still enjoy this. I mean, it's not as good as that live oak one, <laughs> the, the, the or bites, in, but I'm enjoying this one. Um, I do agree that the kind of the tangerine tartness, you know, the citric acid from tangerines and then the, the sourness from the fermentation. They're, they're kind of just off tune, just a tiny little bit. There's a little bit of clashing, but, you know, it's just, just, just a little bit for me. So, you guys, I I saw in your Indiegogo video that you're planning on having a brewery in the museum. What can you tell us about, like, your plans for the brewery that's going to be there?
3: Well, um, this is obviously still very early in development, but I think our idea would be um, to have something on site for uh, guests and visitors to come and see the process of making beer um, and for us to have that be interactive with all parts of the brewing process. Um, so, obviously, there are lots of very fantastic um, brewery tours that are available at lots of other places. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we certainly don't intend to be, um, you know, com- competing with those directly. Um, but I do think that uh, yeah. as part of the experience, being able to see, touch, taste, feel, smell the process of making beer will be an important part of what it is we do at Brew. Right.
0: Yeah, I I, I figured it was still early in the planning stages, but like how big of a brewery are you kind of thinking about doing like homebrew size or brew pub size or or don't you know yet?
2: Well, the, the, one of the considerations with this is we're kind of following the Guinness storehouse model in Dublin and okay. where your price of admission to come see the museum includes your first pint when you're, when you're mm-hmm. done. Mm-hmm. So we think that's a good model and we're, we're going to follow that, which means it behooves us to be brewing our own beer rather than buying right. beer to give away, Right. So, um, you know, if we're, and if we're going to target 300,000, 400,000
0: visitors, then that's, that's a okay. significant I guess that number. sizes the brewery of that, right? Yeah, yeah, First, And then, you <laughs> know, seconds and thirds and fourths after that. that that's so. right, right.
2: But we won't be limited to our own brews. We'll, we'll have other guest taps. And uh, we also want to uh, fe- feature uh, a certain percentage of local breweries. Because uh, I, you know, I know when I travel, you know, if I'm mm-hmm. going to another town, I certainly want to sample of the local products. And I think when people are coming here, they're going to want to do that too, as well as having some specialty brews. There you go; you
0: can have an ale trail right at your stool.
2: That's that's <laughs> the plan, or at least the start of one too. I, th- I mm-hmm. think we're we'll, we're working on the uh, on the peripatetic side of that too. <laughs>
0: right.
1: It's interesting because I would just tossing out an idea here, and you you can you don't have to like agree with me even, but part of the interesting thing about beer is, like you said, it's, it's a it's a story that has that gone with human civilization. And maybe having examples of what beer might have been like at various stages might even be really interesting like to have this is what beer might have been you know yeah
0: taste how awful this is <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, obviously you know, refined for the modern palate, but, but this is you know the style as you can see the styles of you know what we call of, of, of beer have really changed I mean, right you had to grew it's way back you know when mm-hmm. and, and you have um even today you have things that are well different i mean sake is technically a beer in terms mm-hmm. of, of how of how it's made mm-hmm. uh um uh, whiskey starts with a beer before right. it goes through distillation. So all these things have, you know, are, are, are beer. They're, they're certainly what, what the museum should cover. So maybe having some kind of something that's not necessarily just uh, another take on a modern beer versus, you know, maybe you can have this is this is what you might have had yeah. 5,000 years ago. <laughs> so
0: here's what happened. It rained in a guy's clay barley vessel. The stuff germinated Malted and fermented all in the same vessel. He poured this the liquid out. Instead of throwing it away, he tasted it. Yeah. Here, see what this tastes like. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine who did that for the first time. Well, I mean, <laughs> someone You know, think about, like, you know Chateau Jihao
1: is a great example. that's a 5,000 year old Chinese mm-hmm. recipe that's been a little bit mo- modernized. Yeah, I mean, all, all those making it.
0: ancient ales, they've all been liberties mm-hmm. have been taken to make yeah. a good beer.
1: And, and I would expect that, but but at the same mm-hmm. time, you're sort of saying that this is it's a little bit different from what you might expect in a, in a standard beer. Yeah. And maybe this is not the, the beer that you give you know as, as to everybody, but you have right. that available or
2: something. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, Sam Caglione, a dogfish, has dabbled in some of that. Yeah, and, yeah, and I, I think that's worthwhile doing. I, I wonder about that, you know, who was that first person? And I, I have a personal theory <laughs> here, which <laughs> may not make it into the museum, but, um, you know, so you figure 10,000 years ago, and we were still in the process of the domesticating dogs i think the dog was the first beer drinker right mm-hmm. you know who's going to go up to that gurgling puddle or whatever it is and sample it you get this semi-wild dog who drinks it and all of a sudden they're a little more mellow a little easier to deal with that leads the first man to That's, follow <laughs> it's quite possible I mean, the thing is that
1: dogs are a lot smaller than men and so they can't have nearly as much alcohol as right and well so, was, it was a yeah. fermenting
0: puddle so it wasn't really yeah. refined fermentation at that point either there's
1: oh there's the stone monkey theory i don't know how familiar you are with that that was a uh, timothy leary idea but his idea was that um Perhaps and I'm, I'm not going to give it justice because number one I think it's a little bit silly and number two, you know I don't don't buy it but number two I haven't really looked into it too well but something about the 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 first steps to us to be more than just uh, upright walking apes had us uh, ingesting various uh, chemicals that would influence our minds mm-hmm. such as obviously fermented fruit, but also other types of, uh, you know, coffee beans, uh, mushrooms, other right. type of things that, that would have done, you know. Mm-hmm. That, that was oh, Timothy
3: we... Leary and not Ronald Reagan. That put that <laughs> <Okay. I'm> <laughs> All right, let's move on to the next beer. All right, what do we got? This
0: is the one that comes in the little 500 ml bottle. This is the Atrial Rubicite. The what? Atrial, Atrial Rubicite. Rubicite
1: barrel aged sour beer, re-fermented with raspberries. Hmm. So kind of like a frambozen. Four point nine percent alcohol volume. Pilsner and malted wheat for the for the grains. Uh, Golding hops. Do you want to drink something better? Yeah. Uh, psh, psh. Yeah. <laughs> federal government of the United States in- insists that we inform you that the name atrial ribosite does not refer to any claimed health benefits. <laughs> so maybe atrial? Oh, maybe. Atrial.
3: Beer pours. Wow. Good thing you told me that, otherwise I would have thought this was healthy for me. <laughs>
0: Well, you know, there's a new story every other week about beer. Being yeah, good there's for all you, there's right, a bunch of stories you, about so.
1: beer, and and one of the things that I constantly say on the show is beer is not health food. I mean, people will tell you <laughs> oh, beer is good for you. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's great to have a beer. No, beer is not health. Food.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Look at the color on this thing. It it is it, so saturated. This is dark maroon. It looks like it looks like a wine,
3: right? The color. Right? It's so red.
2: You it
1: Smells
0: like raspberries. Mm-hmm.
3: It does. Yeah, but it's not as sickly sweet as some of the raspberry beers that are out there.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, mm-hmm. you know, coming mm. coming from wow. Jester King, you know, it's going to have a sour fermentation too. So it's going to be more like a Framboise or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it smells similar to Lindemans. Greg took a sip. I haven't smelled, tasted it yet. But, I mean, it's it it doesn't have that sweet
1: added sugar note yeah. that Lindemans has. Now, Lindemann's makes other... Uh, other lambics are not as sweet as their raspberry. Like their pesh is great. Um, I would definitely recommend that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the other raspberry is sort of it's designed to be a very sweet beer. This is not. This is uh, mm-hmm. has a lot of of you know macerated raspberry flavor mm-hmm. to it. Doesn't have a good amount of extra sweetness. So there's a lot of that. Um, a lot of that. I don't know that that uh, slightly woody taste that comes with raspberries mm-hmm. as well.
2: Mm-hmm. It'll leave you puckering up.
0: It, and it has a good sourness that any of the sweetness the raspberries put into the beer mm-hmm. are cut and balanced with the, the tartness yeah. and the sourness in this. does not taste at all medicine mm-hmm. What you can run into with
1: some raspberry beers. some These days, I mean, beers, brewers have gotten so much better at making fruited beers than when we started. Mm-hmm. But it was like half the beers you would taste with fruit in them were medicine-y. And they were <laughs> like,
0: ugh, what's going on? The raspberry flavor in this is so true. I mean, it's like Mm -hmm. eating a super ripe, Mm off-the-vine, yeasty raspberry. You know, you're getting the skin flavor, you're getting the seeds, Mm -hmm. you're getting all that flavor put into this glass. It's very good.
1: Mm -hmm. You could, if you wanted to, you could um,
3: reduce this and turn it into a sauce. Hmm. Do you guys have a uh, creme brulee to offer. Uh,
0: this? <laughs> uh, it might be sinful reducing this. Just drink it. <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, you could concentrate this into something like into a into something that yeah, you could you could put over a cre- a, a cheesecake or mm-hmm. creme like I said a creme brulee or something. So,
2: or good for cooking in general.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, just a little bit of this. I mean, you didn't don't need much. You could add a considerable amount of raspberry flavored or something. That's pretty good pretty good. Yeah. That's
2: very good. What would you think, with this as itself, what would you think about pairing it with, with food?
1: Desserts, for the most part. I think that, although it might go really well with a, um, with a steak or something, too. So, um, hmm. something with, with the only, the, but I would want something a little bit gamey, I think, because of the sour notes. Mm-hmm, I want mm-hmm. something to cut that a little bit. But, for the most part, I'm thinking desserts.
0: thinking with, with ice cream, with uh I'm going with chocolate, like a flourless chocolate cake. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's my top yeah. pairing. I, you you could, I like, I like Greg's idea of trying to go a little avant-garde with, you know, meat. Because I think there could be a really neat pairing there. But, I mean, the easy one is you could either do creme brulee or cheesecake. I, I think this would really go real with chocolate, mm-hmm.
2: though. Yeah,
0: maybe yeah. A deer steak. Was, uh,
1: oh, yeah. Yeah, deer or buffalo. Mm-hmm. Something with a little bit of gaminess, I think.
0: That'd be, I mean, that's not something you see at a deer, beer dinner pairing done very often, but I think it would be, especially with this beer. Mm-hmm.
3: Has anyone heard that McDonald's is trying out a, a deer-based sandwich? Arby's, I thought. Oh, is it Arby's? Arby's. Okay, Arby's, that's right. <laughs> well, there's plenty of
1: deer. That's not a problem, right? I mean, there's, there's way too many deer. <clears throat> Everyone knows it because we run into them all the time. and so, uh, <laughs> I... I like venison when I've had it, you know, from people who hunt and stuff, and they've given me pieces of venison. I'm like, yeah, this is not bad. But I don't know how well it's going to go over with, uh, with the Arby's audience. But right. again, it's Let's, the Arby's audience. Yeah. <laughs> Let's stay on topic here. <laughs>
0: we can talk about beer history, but I think we're talking about Arby's sandwiches with beer. That's a little too far abroad. <laughs> Fair enough.
1: Uh, but Arby's beer, have they making...
0: <laughs> <laughs> so what did I forget to ask you guys?
3: <laughs> Good <question>. No pressure. <laughs> yeah.
0: So your Indiegogo, it has what twenty three days to go, hmm. and yeah, twenty three days to go, and you are thirty six of the way, thirty six percent of the way there.
2: All right, we gotta get people on it. You know, yep. tell the world, tell your friends out there.
0: Yeah, they're at seventeen thousand seven hundred ninety eight dollars, and their goal is fifty thousand. So Wait. if you want to help support the brew, the Museum of Beer. Sort look them up on Indiegogo.
2: We have some interesting perks out there too. Things, okay, things tell you us can't about the anywhere. perks. Um, beer earrings, you know, and you can't
0: get those like everywhere. The, like bottle caps? Is that what they? Are? Uh, they're they're <laughs> like beer mugs. Oh, mugs. Okay, you know, uh, I I've seen artists take bottle caps and mm-hmm. cut those mm-hmm. into earrings. I thought maybe that's what you were using.
2: Beer holsters, mm-hmm. with uh with uh brew the museum of beer uh, emblazed on them. So pretty neat. Plus the usual swag T shirts and. We have the beer hoodie, you know, with the the bottle holder and the okay. opener inside. Those kinds of things. We have a the first rendering of the museum is an option if you want. So to I see
0: the the biggest perk here is the family pack. So there you did, go. Did your kids get beer for
2: that. <laughs> <laughs> take care of Christmas all in one fell swoop there for everybody with caps and t-shirts and folsters. is it like
0: saving bonds my kids can like cash them in for more <laughs> yeah. beer when they turn 21 is that how that works there you go <laughs> works for us <laughs>
2: <laughs> but uh... have you guys been to many festivals yeah. Do a, f- a fair number of the years. One
1: thing that I noticed when, uh, like, we've been to the Great American Beer a couple of times, uh, and the the things that hang around their neck, yeah, you know, that might be, be, might be an interesting thing to sell. One of
2: those. <laughs> well, having been on the other side of the table, mm-hmm. we opted for the uh, holster ah. because we've had people with the uh, the the. Neck holders lean over the table, oh. and, you know, yeah. and the beer goes over the
0: table.
1: Oh
2: so. yeah, I
0: think it glass
2: Yeah, right, right. The holster is a little more stable. Yeah. you can you can move about with that and uh, keep your beer in place. So that that works pretty well. But we, we figure you know we're we're the answer to what to get dad for Christmas or Father's mm-hmm. Day or anything like that. All, all those tough to order for people, and uh, you know when when you end up giving them something and wonder wondering if it ever comes out of the closet again then. I mean, we got some things on. Yeah, they said, you
3: can say, "Hey, if they don't like it, well, at least the money went to a good cause." There you go. <laughs> and I think one other aspect we should mention here is beyond uh, you know just the great uh, swag that you're going to get. We're also looking for people to get involved with us in terms of helping to co-create this museum going forward. So basically, at, at any level that you buy in, um, you're going to be included in what are we calling it? The Founders Club, mm-hmm. I believe. Um, You know, so for folks that that, uh, support us on Indiegogo, you'll become part of the Founders Club, which will be able to provide input uh, to us over the next number of years as we take this thing from a dream to a reality. And as we're looking for input on what exhibits should we have, what beers should we have, how do we do rotations Mm -hmm. seasonally, uh, you know, all, all these kind of questions. We're looking for input from beer lovers across America and across the world and by supporting us on Indiegogo, uh, we're going to include you in that conversation uh, to help to, you know, make this thing become and I would just real. say be
0: careful. Have you seen the demotivator de- poster that says none of us are as dumb as all of us? That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's
2: right. Sure. But it's like, you know, Greg was saying earlier that... Uh, how do you pick the taps? Well, one is we don't want to. We want mm-hmm. the people to pick the taps that go in there, whether that's historic things or, or hard-to-get things or whatever it is we'd like people to have a voice in that. Same with, a, you know, we want to have a Beer Hall of Fame, right? We, mm. we need to have a Beer Hall of Fame. Sure, yeah. And it, it shouldn't be, you know, Matt and me who are picking who's in the Beer Hall of Fame. It needs to be... Jeff and Greg. <laughs> yeah. Be happy to be on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You mean to be in the Hall of Fame? or no, don't? no, no, no. no, no, no. Make, ma- making all the decisions.
1: Yeah, no, so, but better but, to pull the strings behind yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: We don't want to catch on oh, that. Sure. Yeah. No way.
2: Um, and then, there, you know, we also want to have a beer hall of infamy, which I think is, mm. well, at, at least is a dream. Pumpkin beers. <laughs> I was, I was oh.
0: it, <laughs> it will be Elliot Ness <laughs> and, and pumpkin a beer. beers. Yeah. And they have <laughs> a <laughs> I like it. <laughs> K-
2: K- uh, Carrie Nation, the, see, uh, Friday, was it Friday or Saturday, was the anniversary of Prohibition going into place. Mm-hmm. But uh, Carrie Nation is my favorite for the Beer Hall of Infamy. She was a six-foot-tall, you know, like 200-pound woman, all dressed in black and, um, uh, let's say... Not a typical beauty pageant, you know, contestant kind mm-hmm. of thing. To, not to be too trumpish about it. But <laughs> you weren't impressed, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And And uh, her way of dissuading people from drinking was to go around from bar to bar and chopping it up with a hatchet. Right. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, the,
1: I, remember, I I read a little, or no, I, I watched a, bit, a little bit about that on Junk History, I think, just recently. Uh-huh. Uh, she was she was as uh, as a, a rabble rouser. She, yeah. she did other good things, from what I mm-hmm. remember, mm-hmm. but but her. In, yeah, in terms temperance. of her her temper and stuff, it will obviously go down infamy for, for beer levels. Yeah.
2: So. agitations, she called it. Going around and chopping yeah. up the, the bars this was a way of convincing people not to drink. So I think she's got a place in the beer I mean she cold. was best
1: she's definitely important in terms of um, women's suffrage, right? Mm-hmm, she had mm-hmm. she had a lot that's to do right. there. So yeah. Greg, no, nobody's who, all bad or all good.
3: That's right. The, the the comment about drunk history I think is something worth um, kind of taking a second to talk about from our perspective, which is um, you know, one of the reasons we're so excited about this museum is that it's not going to be, you know, your 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 grandma's museum. You know, we're we're talking about this being something that's going to be a little bit R-rated, a little bit uh, mm. edgy. Uh, you know, the, you know, beer can be looked at in a very uh, serious academic way, and it can also be looked at in a way that says, "Look, it's just beer," you know. And I think that our intention is to um, kind of walk the line between these two things and provide an experience that is simultaneously uh, educational, but also entertaining and fun and something you're happy to like, you know, nudge your buddy with your elbow on the side and say, hey, did you see this one? Uh, And like learn something while you're enjoying it. So the, the, the drunk history thing is something that we intend to learn from and to find ways to incorporate into our experience.
1: Well, I wouldn't... I I agree with with the idea, but I wouldn't put out the idea of, just my opinion, of it's uh, it's just beer. Because if it's just beer, then why do we have a museum Mm -hmm. about it? I mean, the point is that it's an important part of our history. And that it also has all these dimensions, including humor and... And and all all the other things we get, it has important historical right. value. It also has important um, social value, and there's a, a jocular side to
2: it where you can also appreciate on that level. Yeah, well put. It's it's important and it's entertaining and yeah. fun and diverting. And so you want, I don't know if we can take a minute to talk
3: about Gilgamesh as an example. Sure, yeah, sure. Go ahead. So uh, I think we talked a while back about some of the uh, the founding stories of human civilization. And I believe, I believe it's the first written story. First epic, yeah. The first epic in human history is the Epic of Gilgamesh, which comes from Sumer. And the story uh, centers around the protagonist, whose name is Enkidu. Uh, mm-hmm. And Enkidu was this wild guy off in the forests uh, who was doing Lord Only Knows What. Um, until he came across a, uh, a, a beautiful, uh, arousing woman. Um, and he was intrigued by this woman. And uh, she intrigued him with a variety of, uh, of ways, including uh, beer. And beer was one of the things that she used to convince this crazy, uh, you know, wilderness guy, Enkidu, to settle down and to create a family and to have a job. And, uh, you know, to have children, take care of his children. Um, and beer is a very critical part of this story that was told in literally the first written record of any human epic uh, in human history. So, you know, we we at the Beer Museum are going to have a lot of fun with this story. Sure, yeah, um, absolutely. says so it
2: is sex and beer are what civilizes man right that's what it comes down to <laughs> well, I mean the, there
1: is plenty of references to alcohol in the bible and there's plenty of references to sex in the bible and too there's a whole section called the song of solomon which is a gigantic sex poem <laughs> so uh, so it, these things are but that's because those historical things were both you know there were stories that were told to to uh, represent what civilization was to people at the time and uh, and and they of course all those have uh, references to sex and references to health and references to partying and all the other stuff that p- people recognize today
3: but but I think you know one of the beauties of this as you said is it's it's an experience that we all have had mm-hmm. you know and and it's one of the things that draws us all together as people at the end of the day is you know the experience of getting a little bit tipsy the experience of you know, the the beer goggles with the girl, you know, the experience of what does that mean tomorrow? Right. Right. (laughs) Uh, You know, these are things that everybody has gone through and we know, and they're things that draw us all together. Um, And, uh, you know, I think that one of the things we're so excited about with this museum is that it's not just going to be, you know, come and look at somebody's collection of stuff. It's going to be come and appreciate this aspect of life that hopefully you love and that, um, will help you to understand how you're tied into this grand thing called human civilization, right? Because which is something that we don't all think about or experience on a daily basis. Right. But the reality is we're all part of this very big, you know, major story called humanity. Uh, and beer is such a great way to um, see yourself as part of that in a way that's both fun and educational. So that, that's, I think that's a big part of the reason why we're so excited about this project.
1: I think it's well said.
0: Should we move on to ranking? Yeah, I mean, we have one more beer. I was going to ask if we wanted to do it or not. It's, we're already over an hour. So yeah, that's, uh, wrap, yeah I think
1: we can, we can wrap it up and we can save that one for another time. All
0: right, so now what we do on our show is Greg and I generally rank the beers in our order of preference. We pick the one we like the best, the one mm-hmm. we like the least from there. Uh, when we have people who are in the industry on the show and you guys aren't quite in the industry, you know, it's their option whether they want to rank because... For, for many people in the industry, it's not in their best interest to say that one beer is the worst of the one they had today. But it's up to you guys if you guys want to rank or not.
1: Additionally these are all the same brewery. Yeah, they're all the same brewery, that, so it <laughs> makes it easier, right? You know? But again, I mean, it's up to you. whether It's our shtick. You don't have to yeah. participate in our shtick. Great. I would have taken better notes if I, <laughs> if I knew there was a test. <laughs> what, we, what
0: we will ask you, though, is maybe if you can th- think of what, what was your favorite. What was the, anyone's that stuck in You can out start again. thinking about that now. Mm-hmm. If you don't remember which the name was, just tell us like when it was or what it was like, and we'll help you figure that out. Some of us are still interested in that last beer. <laughs> okay, well, that's, uh, we saw some of that last. There's a little bit left, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, so, um, huh, okay. What do you think, Jeff? Okay, starting from the bottom, I'm going to. I'm going to put the intersection of species at the bottom. Um, I think that uh, we talked about that a little bit where like I thought that the tangerines and the other sours were kind of a little bit out of tune with each other and it clashed a little bit. It was a fine beer otherwise. I mean, these five beers that we had tonight were, I thought they were all delicious, but uh, that one's going to be the bottom of the bunch. Then in fourth place... You do the beer de mil, beer de mil. Uh, that one was quite drinkable. Had really complex honey flavor in it, and I thought it was fascinating. But the uh, the other three beers are going to come out above it. And I'm going to put the La Petite Prince in third place. I don't remember it being that funky from when we had it a couple years ago, mm. but um, I thought it was really good. One you really want to take your time with and kind of explore all its angles and see how it opens up as you drink it. Second place, I'm going to put the Atrial uh, Rubicite, this raspberry beer that we just had. That was really good. Really, I'm impressed on how true the raspberry flavor was in that beer. I can't think of another raspberry beer I've had that's tasted like seeds and skins and, you know, right off the vine. It was delicious. But um, I thought that the Fuder Weizen was crazy. I, I just loved the mixture of that culture and the Live Oak and I could taste underneath it, the bananas and everything. I just, it was a, I've never had anything quite like that, and it just stood out for me. I loved it.
1: Okay. For me, um, not as much a fan of the Live Oak Hefeweizen as Jeff is. Uh, I'm going to put intersection of species at the end. Sim- similarly, I think that it just, it, it was like uh, Bird and Meal, but did not have any of the, awesome parts of your Meal that, that I loved and it just didn't it, it felt the most muddled of all of them uh, I'm going to put the photo in fourth place I I I thought that you know it, the banana stuff turned mushy it, it kind of felt confusing to me I wasn't sure which way to go with it uh, maybe if I was a bigger fan of Live Oak it might have gotten me into it I, I don't know I it, it didn't it didn't work for me but it did work for Jeff so uh, more power to Jeff uh, Le Petit Prince for me in third place just like Jeff i um, I, I think that it's, uh yeah, it was, it was different than what we had because I remember it being more, more like I said, more like a second release of a barley wine. More a little bit, you know, a little bit sweet, a little bit malty, a little bit of some extra um, funk, but not a huge amount of funk. It had, had a lot of funk mm-hmm. for, for what we remember, but still, still pretty good, especially at 2.9. I mean, you're not going to get a much beers Oh, flavor. A of flavor.
0: So much flavor in and and such a low... 2.9.
1: Um, the of meal in second place. I really enjoyed the honey. I enjoyed, like, the toasty stuff that Matt was talking about. Um, there's, there's lots of good stuff to say about the bearded meal, but, uh, that, uh, the atrial
0: rubricite, oh, good. So good. <laughs> it's pretty good. So good. Guys, any thoughts? You don't have to rank them. I mean, whatever okay. you guys are comfortable with doing, go well, ahead.
2: I'll weigh in with a favorite, which, uh, you know, for, for me... I'm not doing as much ranking in class as as you guys as the mm-hmm. pros are doing. I'm, right. I'm doing personal favorites, mm-hmm. and and as I as I said, my disclaimer is I'm not into the sour so much, but the uh, the the beard meal to me was my favorite, it was the most okay. drinkable from my standpoint. Sure,
3: yeah, my um my clear favorite was the raspberry beer, and and not so much that it was necessarily better than the others, but that it was memorable. Um, because raspberry beers that I've had to this point have been generally um, overly syrupy sweet, and this one was, um, as I believe Jeff said, uh, really emphasizing the flavors as opposed to the sugar, um, and I, I would be happy to drink that beer many times so
0: a quick question for you Matt when you say the raspberry beers you've had are you talking about other like Belgian lambic raspberries like frambozans yeah, that's oh, right okay. I wasn't sure if you are talking about those or like raspberry wheat beers and things like that no no like no more, more the lambics okay alright yeah. sounds good well, I guess that was that thanks guys for being on the show thank you so much thanks for and uh, good us. luck with you. your Indiegogo hopefully you guys can meet your goal and get that other 30 million dollars that you're <laughs> looking for <laughs> that's and, <right>. and, <laughs> and, and crush this thing Start one, one step at a time
2: yeah start building next week <laughs>
0: Alright, Craft Beer Radio is released under the Creative Commons license. You can visit craftbeerradio.com for more information. If you want to email us, you can hit it up, beer at craftbeerradio.com on Twitter. I'm at Jeff bearer At CBR Greg. You guys have a Twitter handle? We do. Um, Brew Museum. At Brew Museum. You can send them a little tweet saying, you heard them on Craft Beer Radio. I'm sure they'd be tickled about that. Uh, thanks everyone for listening again, and we'll see, let's talk at you again next week.
2: Thanks for